0: Rocket League.
1: Welcome back to another episode of the Laravel Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Stouffer, and i got two guys joining me. Can you introduce yourselves? I'm Jeffrey Way.
0: And I'm Taylor Otwell.
1: So this week, we're going to do a quick catch-up on a couple items that are going on, and then we got one big topic to talk about. So before we get to the one big topic, uh, I want to hear about latest updates about what's going on with Laracon US, and then what's going on with Hashtag SparkWatch. So Taylor, could you give us a
0: heads up on both of those? Yeah, so Laracon, uh, we have a couple new speakers since we last podcast, I think. And one of them is Jason McCreary, who is the creator of Laravel Shift, which is, if you haven't seen that, it's a project that basically attempts to migrate your Laravel project from like 5.0 to 5.1 automatically. So it does a bunch of checks and gives you a bunch of warnings. And the stuff that it can't migrate automatically, it actually comments on the pull request and says like, hey, I couldn't figure this out. So you might want to look at that. So that's actually pretty handy. So go check that out. He's going to talk about um, Yagni, or you aren't going to need it in Laravel. Kind of keep, keeping your code simple, and but at the same time writing your code to where if your app gets more complex, you can still um, have a smooth migration to a kind of a more complex architecture. And then uh, the other new speaker is Jeremy Lindblom, who's not even on the site as of uh, recording this, but he's going to speak about building um, apis with lumen and then the swagger which I think is kind of like an API spec and then using guzzle to basically automatically create a SDK for your lumen apis that you can give to other people so that's going to be a cool talk he um, you know has done a lot of work on guzzle and actually used to work for AWS and he's had a new a new gig now actually in Arizona so uh, he's a really good speaker and I'm sure that'd be an interesting talk for anyone that does apis or lumen work
1: can I can I interrupt? I'm really excited about both of those. Um, the, I'll link it in the show notes, but there's a full stack radio interview with Jason McCreary, who apparently goes by JMAC, I learned from that from that radio. And uh, I think Yagni is really place, a place where I'm interested in hearing from him because I feel like he's maybe a little bit outside of like the the voices that are commonly heard within the PHP community. But a lot of the things he was saying there like reflected a lot of knowledge and experience in the industry of like making your own software applications and knowing what to use and what not to use them. Very, very interested to hear that one. One of the things that I toyed around with once with Guzzle, but never got deep into is this idea where that you could basically like define your SDK in, I think it was either JSON or it was like PHP arrays, and then it basically creates like the full thing for you. So it might be like the I guess maybe the inverse of that thing you're talking about with Lumen, but the idea of having like consistent API specs that remove us some of the necessity of kind of writing really simple aspects of our sdks i feel like it's it's both could be like a really good thing because it simplifies or simplifies like and normalizes things that you do over and over and it could be a bad thing because it's trying to be too much magic do either you have very much experience with that or should we just wait until laricon to to know
0: it will be brand new for me at laricon so i'll learn it there (laughs) yeah me too
1: Cool. I'm super excited to hear that. Sorry I interrupted. I just wanted to respond to both of those talks. I'm I'm super excited to hear both of them.
0: Uh, Hashtag SparkWatch is getting uh, really, really close. We actually have um, Spark is basically feature complete. And since we last podcast, I think quite a few new things have gone in. Um, PayPal support via Braintree. A Braintree Braintree version of Cashier was actually already released um, and documented, which kind of is the foundation for that. Lots of oh team billing. So kind of like on GitHub, how you can have each team has its own sort of payment method and subscription to different levels of um, how many private repositories you can have and that kind of thing. On Spark, you can set up that kind of billing model where each team has its own credit card or PayPal account, its own subscription plan and stuff like that. So if you're running a, an app where people are sort of managing multiple teams that each have their own billing plans, it's actually really easy to set up in Spark. Um, so those are kind of are the two last big things and the PayPal support was actually kind of like my last hurrah in trying to add a really cool feature to spark that I knew a lot of people would want. So I was glad I was able to get that in. And, uh, right now we have, uh, the landing pages being worked on and I actually just started on the, um, kind of the site the site for spark itself where you'll actually buy a license and download the releases and all that i just started that today and that's actually built on spark which is kind of nice so all that billing stuff and login and all that is
2: already done for it yeah that's always fun when you can use the tool to build the tool yeah that's always great i love that
0: Yeah. Spark is really nice. Actually, even if you don't have any subscriptions, which this site doesn't, you know, it's just one-off billing. I still leverage all of the invoices, the payment method, the authentication, all that is still the same. Even the invoice download display is all the same. So the only difference is I just didn't define any plans for it, but I still can charge customers or whatever, just one-time charges.
1: Yeah. Well, so one of the things that happened recently was uh, you kind of came out on Twitter and you said, hey, th- this is a good time as any to announce it. I want to let you know that Spark is going to cost money. And so for anyone who doesn't know the backstory, Taylor first announced Spark was going to be a thing uh, al- almost a year ago, I guess maybe six, six, nine months ago. Basically last summer he had spent, I feel like a, a couple months working on this idea. Um, and this is kind of early idea where there's going to be a, a framework that was it was kind of cashier-like. It was a relatively simple wrapper around kind of the i mean it wrapped cashier right but it was it was in terms of scope it was relatively simple wrapper that makes it easy to spin up a landing page with some basic billing information um and kind of hooks cashier into your laravel apps and so he kind of announced it he gave a pitch for it at both of Laracons, and then uh it said hey i've got a couple more weeks worth of work, And then I'll, I'll release that thing. And, and then kind of things have changed a lot since then. So before we even get into anything else, I, I think we might have told a little bit of the story on the podcast before. But Taylor, can you talk about the story of kind of really what happened from that thing, which had the name Spark, to the thing today that has the name Spark?
0: Yeah, that's a really good, really good thing to talk about. Um, So at Laracon, I showed Spark, and it was basically um, authentication, subscriptions, and teams, I think was the only features. And the internal code base was okay, but I never could get to where I felt really satisfied with the way the code was structured or the way it looked or the way it felt or anything. It just all felt kind of jumbled or a little messy to me, mainly probably because it was a little rushed going into Laracon. Um, and so I basically started from a blank slate. This was like last last winter, I guess, last fall. And said, I'm just going to start from a blank sublime text and I'm just going to redo everything with all the lessons I've learned that what went wrong building um, it the first time. And so I did that and then a lot more features were added. Like we added um, API authentication where you can have uh, API tokens and automatically handles the cookie security for your API tokens, So you can use the same API on your own site as you use for like your SDKs and stuff like that. It, of course, added the brain train and PayPal support, the team billing. It looks better. It's structured a lot more flexible where it's a lot easier to say, like swap out your two-factor authentication provider or swap out how the entire registration system works. Um, All of that stuff is much more customizable and flexible. Um, Of course, wrote unit tests for everything. Um, Everything's just much more robust and um, much better architected and done really well under the hood to the point where I'm satisfied with it. And I spent so much time on it that like, you know, it, it has been probably like eight or nine months now that it just didn't feel, it felt weird to just be giving it away for free at that point, especially because the whole point of Spark was to make businesses money. You know, the, that's the whole idea behind the thing is for you to launch your own for-profit business on Laravel. And just seeing how much development time I knew it was going to save myself and others, like it just felt justifiable to charge for it at that point since it had grown so much, like it was way beyond what I showed at Laracon in terms of just the general feel, the quality, the amount of features, and all of that. So um, I felt it was to the level where it was kind of like a premium product that was something that people would be willing to pay for.
2: I think you found even when you announced it, basically everyone is okay with it. You get the You get the small fraction of people who will complain, but... You know, it's hard. Like, some developers, they get spoiled, you know? It's like, just because there's this concept of open source doesn't mean every single thing needs to be free. And I think it's especially tough from the point of view of, like, a project maintainer like yourself... Because sometimes they're the last ones to make money off of the thing, right? So like with Laravel, you're spending hours and hours and hours and hours working on this. Everyone takes it and makes money off it, but then they forget sometimes that the person who actually created the tool isn't making money off of it. And you know, you got to put food on the table. So yeah, people get spoiled sometimes when they think just, oh, you're not allowed to charge money ever. There's like, it's ridiculous. It drives me mad sometimes.
0: Yeah, and some people, like you said, like 99% of people, think oh yeah of course why wouldn't you charge money for something like spark and i think the people that maybe don't like that it costs money aren't looking at it from more like a business perspective where if you have a team of developers and you have to assign a developer to write all of that code that you would have to write if you didn't buy spark that's going to take any average developer probably at least two weeks to write all of that so when you talk about paying a developer salary for 2 weeks that's probably a couple thousand dollars at least. And so if you could buy if you could buy something for just say $99, just making up a number. I don't know what Spark will cost, but that saves you a ton of money. I mean, if you're a, so if you're a business, it's kind of a no-brainer to just if Spark works for your use case, like you would you should definitely use it because it's going to save you thousands of dollars in development costs.
2: Not to mention it's going to be better than what you could make on your own realistically yeah most likely which is, which is very true especially like i've had to write all of this stuff on my own and when you're dealing with team billing and subscriptions there are so many points where something could go wrong where you don't catch a web hook and you don't cancel a, all of that stuff if you're not careful you can really get in trouble so um if i could drop 99 dollars and just have all of that taken care of i think it's pretty awesome yeah
0: Yes, because Spark was kind of carefully built over a period of six months. So if you compare that to kind of rushing through your subscription or team stuff in a couple of weeks, yeah, hopefully Spark will be a little bit better set up than, you know, just kind of home growing it or rushing through it yourself.
1: And I I, I agree. Of the folks who I've seen complain who've been probably zero, zero, zero something percent, um, the almost I think maybe every single one of them has said something along the lines of, well, I didn't actually have any uses for this, but I wanted to play around with it. So I think there's something to be said about folks who are the the intended audience. There's always, whatever it is, it's a paid thing or free thing. There's people who are the intended audience and there's people who are not. And the people who are not the intended audience won't understand decisions that are made with uh, kind of thought towards the intended audience. Um, but it prompted an interesting conversation, not just in terms of uh, relationship with Shift or with Spark, but also about other things. And it's funny, I accidentally said Shift because Shift costs money, right? And it's an open source project that somebody could have released for free and... and. um you know, uh, Laircasts cost money and well, why isn't Jeffrey doing that for free? And um, recently, Evan Yu, the, the creator of JS, just um, announced that he's hoping to get to a place where he can work on Vue.js full time. I'll link to that, that announcement in the show notes and so he's trying to figure out what does it look like to make money for that and so far he hasn't, you know, done any of the things that people get people frustrated but instead he's saying, well, what if, um, I think he's support me on Patreon or something like that and that's one that I think people are a little bit less averse to but the problem is Uh, I think you'll find that content creators are less likely to actually get support from things like GitType and Patreon. People, People like it. But it doesn't actually tend to earn you that much money relative to some other options. So it's very interesting. So, And we wanted to kind of just have a little bit of a chat around the general idea about open source and money. So we've said a few things about why Spark costs money. And I think it kind of makes sense. Anybody who understands the benefit they're getting from it kind of can look at it and be like, yeah, well, if I'm going to save a whole bunch of money, then that's cool. But it's interesting because this is like a long running conversation. If you look at the difference between WordPress and Expression Engine and Craft and Statomic, it's that same kind of thing. And so people are looking at it and saying, well, I could use WordPress for free or I can basically eat $300 and then, you know, use Expression Engine and stuff like that. And and one of the places they've gone is that, you know, someone says, well, wait a minute. So I'm I'm paying $300 for a, a Expression Engine license and now I have to do two two weeks less of billable work for my clients, so I'm losing money all across the board and and as someone who runs a client services company even in that context it's only that way if you basically make your money by like trying to uh, you know if you're if you're fungible basically if the, if the work that you're doing is basically just hacking out crappy code versus being kind of unique and, and and actually adding some value so to me like tools like this that get the rote stuff out of the way they don't they don't threaten my company's usefulness because they just allow us to be even more unique we're now spending less of our time writing the same subscription and billing code over and over again. It's now more of our time doing uh, unique things. And I think that your approach towards your business and what you're actually using these kind of tools for is different. So one of the things that I I, I talked to you about when you first started talking about doing this is, I wonder whether I would do this for my open source side project apps, right? That I never intend for them to make any money, but sometimes I decide that I'm going to do a little bit of billing. And at first, my response was, you know, I'll definitely use this for Titan, but I'm not going to use and and this we're talking about making money in open source in general but let's talk about money spending money in open source right because that's the other that's the kind of inverse of it i was like i don't think i would do it i don't think i would use it for one of my side projects but i had to stop and think about it and like in my side projects i'm i'm trying to find the ability to afford hours um to work on things you know and my my time is precious it's time with my family and if i had a side project that needed to make money which is the only one that would actually merit spark could i save myself five hours and nights and weekends with my family by spending you know a couple hundred bucks or whatever it ends up being for spark and then i stopped and thought about it and even my kind of conception around that shifted so i wanted to ask you guys a thing uh have you and this is outside of spark have you ever found spaces where outside of business uh, you've kind of been willing to spend money on something, whether it's a piece of software or whatever, just for side projects or open source stuff. So I know, you know, like one of the things we talk about is, is gear, but is that, is that maybe part of the conversation is, uh, being willing to spend money on things that aren't part of your day job or aren't for a client or something like that.
0: I have several times that I can think of. Um, let's see. I mean, I, I support, I supported the view thing on Patreon immediately. Um, Um, And then also I've bought various database tools, you know, just for my own use and stuff like that. But for me, it's hard to answer because the two things, my work and my side project are so blended so much differently than other people. But like just off the, um, on the same topic I floated on Twitter a few times is it is possible like once I kind of evaluate how... What Spark is going to cost? Maybe there, maybe there could be two licenses: one for a developer and one for a business. Which a lot of companies do. Like Microsoft has their whole BizSpark platform, where if you're a startup, you get their Office products for either discount or free. I don't remember. And so businesses have stuff like that, and that is a possibility. You know, where you charge an established business like Titan a little bit higher rate than you would charge someone that's just a hobbyist or just an individual, which you know, whatever that, that makes sense. I think because you want to, the whole one idea of spark is to let people start a side business. You know, that's kind of the whole thing is it makes it easy for those ideas to come out. So I think it would make sense to probably have some kind of um, discounted rate. I mean, spark is not going to be expensive to begin with, but it's not like you're talking about thousands of dollars, but yeah, I mean, I think that could be cool to have kind of a hobbyist or, or an individual rate and a business rate. Jeffrey, I think, I think one
1: of the things that I, I like about having this conversation is the ability to go to each person who's charging for money for something, who, who even maybe just one person about a million has complained at some point saying, well, why are you charging money? You know, like, uh, and just say, well, why are you charging money? And not, not in an accusatory way, because I think there's very good answers, but like for Laricasts, you could have chosen to leave NetTuts and gone and made Laricasts free. Uh, you know, Why didn't you? you know, and I just would love
2: to hear kind of your pitch there. Yeah, Laracast isn't like open source code, but it's it's the same basic concept. A lot of people thought it should be free. And it's like, look, it's physically impossible to do the job without making money off of it. So it's like, okay, if I made Laracast free, how on earth am I, am I putting food on the table? I'm having to do something else. I'm having to do contractor-type work or, or get a daytime job. If I'm doing that, I don't have time to be working on the site. So I always compared it to like, look... I could make it free and then release like a video once every week or two or I could do it full time and charge basically nothing. It's the cost of lunch um, and then be able to do it full time and I think it works out better that way. Um, I I make a lot of the videos free so that way it does help people maybe uh, in countries who can't afford it. But yeah, at the end of the day, you got to put food on the table. I mean this is not complicated stuff. It's amazing how spoiled some people get. yeah, like I was saying earlier, it just sort of blows my mind that you think every possible thing under the sun should be free. And usually the people who think that way aren't often the ones contributing to these tools. So I think maybe they, they forget how much work actually goes into some of these projects. It's an absurd amount of work. And – um do you, do you expect these people to work for free, just nonstop? I just don't know how that works. Yeah. One thing I found interesting on this whole, you know, we've
0: been asked uh, lately by a few people how to make money in open source or how to transition their project into making money. And I feel like if you know any topic reasonably well, you can turn that into a profitable business. And like one person that comes to mind is Wes Boss, who has the reactforbeginners.com. And he has a few other courses as well. Like, Wes Boss could have just written a blog and posted tutorials about React on it for free over a course of time, and that would have been a very normal, typical thing to do. But he basically took his React knowledge, packaged it up into one thing, and if you go to his website, you can see right there on the website it's sold over 4,000 times at $50 a piece. Now, like, you could just do basic math on a napkin and find out that he's, you know, that course has made about $200,000 at the least, compared to just blogging and giving it away and I think more people should consider like if you're if you're an expert in something or you're knowledgeable about, about something don't be afraid to charge for that and don't necessarily feel bad that some people will kind of badmouth that because the vast majority of people are more than willing I feel like to pay for something that gives them value so yeah I mean definitely you know make yourself an expert in something and then put that knowledge out there.
2: Yeah, and the reality is I think you can do both, right? You can do some stuff that's entirely free and entirely open source, and then other stuff you can make uh, some money off of. What's wrong with that? Yeah, and
0: they kind of feed into each other. So if you have kind of like some free stuff on your blog and then you have some premium courses or videos or books, your blog can kind of feed into your business and vice versa.
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: And in case you think that this is something people only do with open source, um, I run a software as a service and have run it for five years and there, it, its primary competitor—in quotes, air quotes—is uh, an old piece of Windows software that people have used for ages. That has, you know, been around for just a really long time. That's free, and the the people who made it made it by basically getting donations to make it. And so people will always come to us, which is a modern sa- software as a service, which has all the costs of running a software as a service business and everything like that. And say, well, why isn't it free? So even in like an an a, an application like this, they're like, well, why isn't it free? This other one is free, or, or why is it? Why isn't it free? Asana is free. You know why isn't it free? Dropbox is free or whatever, and so even even when you step like yes, people might use open sources the justification for it, to expect things for free, but if that justification is there isn't there, they'll find another one. It's just the the concept that like everything should be free and I should never have to pay money for that. And and someone who has that mindset, I, I encourage you to to really consider the value of what you're getting for people. But who some, for someone who's like worried about the people with that mindset like nothing you do will make them happy, right? Like so don't don't even worry with it about it. And yet people do come to us asking about how do I make money with open source stuff. And it's it's recognized that the vast majority of us really appreciate what you're doing and there's ways to monetize it. And it might be asking for Patreon supporters. It might be monetizing, you know, work you've already done. Maybe you bundle up some of your blog posts into an ebook or whatever it ends up being. There's a lot of options and I think people are more open to supporting kind of like a good person making good content than I think maybe we tend to think about.
2: Okay, so let's say you start an open source project and it's doing really well. You have tons of users and you decide you want to go full time on it. So Taylor's already mentioned maybe you could do like a video course on the subject. Uh, what other ideas are there? It can be tough sometimes.
0: Yeah, it is tough. The inf- I feel like that info product is sort of like the easy win because they're easy. Well, I mean, they're not easy, but they're, they're less work than maybe building a full app or something. And it sort of is a quick way to get some, some revenue going, especially if you're, especially if you're like an authoritative figure on an open source project, like Evan is with Vue or like me or or Jeffrey or one of us would be with Laravel where people really look up to you for knowledge in a certain thing. Um, I feel like the info product is a really easy way to bring in some revenue, but beyond that, I think it gets a little tougher to, to figure out how to monetize open source without just asking for just pure donations.
1: Well, I think if you're the author- authoritative source of information about a thing, then you have need to find the places where being that authoritative source gives you an edge over other people who are making money using your thing. So one of them is if you're the one who who created it, your videos are gonna be more valuable, your books are gonna be more valuable, um, your newsletter is gonna be more valuable, though you know, people don't tend to charge money for that. But also your your consulting and your code review are gonna be more valuable. And so if you have a thing that you're going to do that basically I will travel to your company and I'll teach you A to Z of of my thing for X amount of time, or I will do X number of hours of code review for you, or, you know, whatever else it ends up being like, think about the places where you knowing more about it than anybody else um, is valuable. And also there's a thing, thing to be said for just like companies knowing that they have access to you in case, right? And so if you basically like provide an ability for them to have access to you in case Um, That both helps them know that, hey, if we ever end up getting totally screwed in a really bad spot, we can reach out to you and say, hey, can we bring you in to consult on this thing? Um, But it also helps them sell their ability to do this particular thing to the end client because they say, oh, well, we have... You know, they say, Well, how how good are you at X thing? Well, here's how good we are. And in addition, if anything ever goes wrong, we have backup access to bring in this this person to do this thing or whatever. Plus, um, as a company, if you're deciding to go on in a technology, of course, you're gonna buy everybody in the technology, the books and the videos by the creator or whatever else. You know, so there's a lot of options that like maybe are not what we normally think about because you think about like marketing and making money from the individual developers, but like if there's an actual business info uh, ecosystem kind of around this open source project that you're doing there's a lot of opportunities there that might not be the first thing that you think about all right guys uh anything else we want to talk about before we uh, we close it off for the day i know we got one last thing uh what's the name of the game rocket league let's talk rocket Rocket league League for a second so i i've never played this game i understand that you're in a vehicle of some sort and the vehicle of some sort is playing kind of like soccer right okay rocket league is soccer with with cars
2: that's all you need to know. The cars can fly. Soccer with right. trucks. The cars have and jets. And they can fly.
0: The ball is very large compared to the cars, So, like, you're kind of, like, flying around trying to hit this big ball into the other person's goal. And there's turbo throughout, scattered throughout the field. So you can kind of scoop up these little turbos to turn on your jets. But if you exhaust your turbo all the way, of course, you're not going to be able to use your jets until you pick up some more turbo on the field. So... You know, there's a lot of strategy to it in terms of like defense and you know not leaving yourself vulnerable to the other team. But it goes all the way from one versus one to four versus four, and of course, Jeffrey and I have been playing eleven eleven straight one v one games, which I have
2: lost yeah, every single one. I wasn't Look, gonna, gonna I wasn't going to mention because, that. <laughs> no, yeah, you were. You, you were waiting to mention it. I, I'm going to own it because at some point I am going to win, and I've I've already explained this to Taylor. Once I do win. I think that's going to be a turning point. And we're going to see, like, I just win from then on. Because that's usually how it happens. (laughs) When I win that first match, I've surpassed him. And there's no going back at that point. The problem with Rocket League is it's maybe the most brutal game I've ever played. Like, in terms of trash talking, it's basically built into the fabric of the game. So if any person gets two or three points ahead of you, they immediately just start emasculating you. Like, I've been called garbage. I've been called trash. I've been called pathetic. This is all just by Taylor, by the way. But everyone I was just going to say, is it. this th- random 13-year-olds or is this is Taylor? It's by Taylor and also 13-year-olds. Yeah, years I think olds. some of my
0: trash-talking has been, one time I scored and I just texted him on the game chat, uninstall, just uninstall the
2: game. Um, try, please try, please quit, embarrassing, etc. Yeah. Oh, and it's so hard because you have like five seconds. You can use uh, predefined messages, but if you want to write something custom, You can write it out on a keyboard, but you basically have five seconds to get it out as quickly as you can uh, before the next uh, match starts. Yeah. I
0: don't feel like anyone should have any sympathy on Jeffrey, though, because he is the worst trash talker. And this is all just retribution (laughs) for all his Mario Kart trash talking.
2: I can't trash talk about Mario Kart anymore, though. Like, Mario Kart versus trucks and soccer. It's a little bit different. I'm going to catch up, though. One is luck-based. One is skill-based. Mario Kart is not luck-based. I'm... I'm a little tired of hearing about this because we specifically played matches that didn't have any items, and you still got whooped, which is fine, right? You're not as good at Mario Kart. You're better at Rocket League right now. I will, I will give you that, but... It's going to change next week. Last night, Je- last
0: it. night Jeffrey compared himself to Clubber Lang in Rocker, Rocky 3 and said that while I was sleeping, he would be up training. And then we woke up this morning, and I gave him a couple <laughs> more quick paddlings on a Rocket League. So
2: <laughs> I, sent, I sent Taylor this long message, and then my wife made me realize how creepy it was because it was like at midnight. And I told him this whole story, which is basically the plot of Rocky 3, where like Taylor is Rocky, and he's getting too big for his... For himself, and he's getting cocky, and he's doing commercials, and I'm the clubber Lang character who's just working really hard, and I'm going to whoop him. Except, and then, of course, the next morning, Clubber Lang loses in Rocky Three. He doesn't even win. <laughs> well, that's where it changes because Rocky is a movie, <laughs> but this is real life.
1: <laughs> oh, jeez. All right. Well, um I'm gonna gonna sit back on the fact that I still um, beat Jeffrey in Mario Kart once. Uh, We're going to call that the end of the day for today. Is there anything else you guys want to chat about before we're done for the day? That's it. All right. Talk to you all later. Thank you very much.